0: So we're in the Rambam, in the introduction of Rabbi Yosef Kapach, by the way, we're nearing the end of this uh, Hagdama, so in just a couple of weeks, we'll be ready to start the Rambam's Mishneh Torah himself, but these Hagdama, these introductions are truly important, and for those who have been with the series since the beginning, you'll notice that Rabbi Yosef Kapach is building us up, not just to understand uh, Rambam, but to understand how he understands the Rambam, and that will definitely help us in the future, with understanding the notes of Rabbi Yosef Kapach as he records them on the writings of the Rambam. The next question that Rabbi Yosef Kapach wants to deal with, aside from the original question he already dealt with, which was, why did the Rambam write this work? And then on top of that, he went into a conversation about the fact that it was a fact on the ground of the Kilot of Israel to rule Halacha according to the Rambam. Now he deals with his next question. This is found on the bottom of page Chavbet. So on the bottom page 22 in the introduction. The question is as follows. Why did Rabbeinu HaRambam suffice with just copying down the primary source? We're going to explain what this means. Well, let's explain out of the book. Why did the Rambam feel it necessary only to record that which is Talmudic law and not to record any other opinions or his personal opinions or opinions of different geonim until his time? Says Rabbi Yosef, It's known and accepted among everyone. That the Rambam only writes laws that are explicitly mentioned in the sources. Like he himself writes in his introduction, And the Charonim are already in dispute among themselves as to whether or not the Rambam quotes things that are overtly mentioned in Shas as well as things that are alluded to in the Shas, or if he only rules the things that are explicitly mentioned in the Talmud and he gives you a few sources so the Bet Yosef look at Bet Yosef and and look at the Mishnah Lamelech and look at the Peri Chadash Kama Bashas Adiyuk O he mentions a few other places that in the Shas were not written explicitly but they were only written uh, as a side matter Bechol often, in any case it's clear to everyone that the Rambam does not do one of two things. He doesn't bring his own opinions. He doesn't bring his own novel insight into the which he may have had. But he doesn't bring that in the Mishnah Torah. And he also doesn't extrapolate from one place to another place. He doesn't take one area which is written explicitly in Chazal and apply that to a new area which Chachamin themselves didn't rule that way. And if you are consistent and you follow through, mamash with a pencil, go to every single place where the Rambam mentions, it seems to me, I say, meaning, Personal opinions of the Rambam. And he records there are above a little over 100 places where the Rambam does that. B'ikar devarim shei lamda mina Those are things that are truly novel, and it would be otherwise impossible to learn them on your own from the sources. To understand this, we have to understand the Rambam's methodology. In his Mishnah Torah. And not like the Baalei Tosafot and the other French rabbis in his generation and those that came after them. Who they record their own novel insights and they compared one case to another case and they, uh, the whole theology, the whole understanding of Halakhan was Midrash, were to take things steps further than what Chachamim had originally intended them to be. There's an article that I posted once in our Shiviti Night kollel Classroom, it could be that it's not in our special classroom, and I need to uh, post that again, on the methodology, the legal methodology of the French German Rabbis, and how it differs greatly from Chachmei Sivarad, and how it unfortunately has much in common with other non-Jewish legal uh, methods that were in those times. And it appears that it seems that Rabbeinu Rambam's reason for doing this was because he was the opinion. That even though it was permitted for Rabbi Nasi, or otherwise known as Rabbeinu Akadosh, to write down the Mishnah, and not just was the permission given, but the Mishnah was actually written. The And Rabbi Khiya continued with the writing of the Tossefta. Shena ella divrei tanaim Mishnah. What is the Tosefta? Tosefta is the collection of opinions that were not that didn't make the cut into the Mishnah. And that's the same thing with Bereshit Rabbah. And that's why all those other books, you may see them randomly mentioned, essentially those are rabbinic texts that didn't make the cut into the Mishnah. nonetheless, Let me back up. As we're going to learn again in the Rambam's introduction himself. But it's important to understand this before we read this piece the written Torah was given as a written Torah and the oral Torah was given as an oral Torah and it was intended to never be written down the reasons we'll discuss them in a different place as the Rambam explains in his introduction the generations decreased in knowledge the persecution increased against Am Yisrael and we were forced to write down a in Mishnah in the, in the category of it, Adonai, toratecha, that sometimes in order to preserve a Baruch Torah, we must violate it. And that's not a, a phrase you could just use whenever you feel like it. There's protocol when you can do such a thing and when you cannot. Mostly when you cannot. But Rabbeinu Akadosh Rabbi Yudan felt that the time was so urgent, that Torah Shebaal Peh, the oral Torah, was going to be forgotten from the Jewish people, that he sat down and wrote the Mishnah. Rabbeinu HaRambam believes That, that heter, that permission, that dispensation to write down the Mishnah was not a total heter. It was not a broad, sweeping permissibility. Not everybody who wants can just come now and write his own opinions of Torah Shabbat Peh. It was only given to that generation and that place. And to those teachings, Shemot, and not Shemot. Modern Hebrew today means rumors, but to those traditions that are given to us and are the foundations of the Torah Shabbat, ve'lo and not more than that. like you find in Masechet Timura, page fourteen. Lashon tamual a very interesting story. Shama there they say. Ki here you have an interesting conversation, which is not really relevant to us at all, about sacrifices and, and what comes along with them that, during the daytime. Amar, he said, If I would only find a messenger, a postal service, who's going down to Babel, to Babylon, he said, I would write a letter and I would write down this novel idea and send it to Rabbi Yosef and Babel. And over there the Talmud asks, How could you write such a thing? How would you be able to write a letter and send it? It's forbidden to write down the oral Torah. And they answer there. That this specific case was a new case and was perhaps permitted. I look there for the details of the story. Says Rabbi Yosef Essentially, the whole question is, is strange. It's perplexing. You're talking already about the time of the Moraim. This is literally years, years after it was permitted to write down the Oral Torah. already wrote and the rest were written by his students. So what's the what's the story here in the Talmud? What do you mean you can't write it down? Of course you can write it down. Rabbi already set a precedent that you can write down to So why not me? Rather, we have no choice but to explain. We learn it's a it's a fact for the Moraim. That, that which Rabbi Nasi was given permission to write the Mishnah was not a blanket permission to write down oral law. That prohibition of writing down oral Torah is pushed away, and it was momentarily or temporarily put on hold because of a more pressing law, which was in moments. There, there are moments in which we push away Hashem's Torah to uphold it. It was pushed off. It was a temporary suspension of law. Not a dismissal of a law. Not an eradic- eradication of a law. This, per- this uh, prohibition was was pushed off. It was suspended. It was not permitted. It was not annulled. This is a fascinating uh, argument. You look at Shukhanov, Siman Shin Yud in the laws of Shabbat, Maran there, based off of all the books that came before him, and his commentary on the Beit Yosef, and the Torah, and the Rambam, and the Talmud, and the Mishnah. When we say that a person is allowed to violate Shabbat in order to save a life, an example would be to cook on Shabbat for a sick person. Food, they need food. What? I'm not going into modern examples for a reason. So is Shabbat a Has Shabbat's laws temporarily been suspended? Or Hutra? Or have Shabbat laws been completely nullified? Meaning, if you are taking care of a sick person, do whatever you need to do to save a life. Now, let me stop for a moment before I say anything. Please don't walk away from here learning Halakha and I'm not giving a class now. I'm not teaching a Shiu on the laws of Shabbat. Those halachot must be studied and studied well. And in general, when it comes to saving a person's life, I urge you: do not be too strict. Be strict about saving a life. Don't be strict about other things. But in a a theoretical context, in the ben midrash, is it that Shabbat is pushed off so now you could cook for them, or that the Shabbat is suspended of sort? There's some, you know, as much as you can avoid, you should avoid. That would be the practical ramification. What's the difference? So let's imagine this. Cooking in a microwave on Shabbat, is it the same prohibition as cooking on a fire on Shabbat? Most likely not. And therefore, is it preferable to cook in a microwave? Or preferable to cook in a fire? That you have to start outside? If Shabbat is dechuyah, if Shabbat is suspended temporarily, so you should still try as much as possible to keep Shabbat while breaking Shabbat. I mean, do whatever you need, but at least try not to do everything. If Shabbat is Hutra, if Shabbat is already uh, pushed off, it's it's, uh, abolished completely, in that case, then you can do whatever you want. Cook in a fire, cook in a barbecue, cook in the oven, cook in the stove, cook in a microwave, cook however you want to cook, you're allowed to cook today. This has practical ramifications. You're taking someone to the hospital on Shabbat. Who can join? Who can join? leaving the tchum of Shabbat, getting an ambulance on Shabbat, electricity on Shabbat, driving on Shabbat, whatever comes in, signing somebody's name on Shabbat, whatever needs to happen, a, a myriad of, of biblical and rabbinic prohibitions. What do you do? It's all dependent, is this temporarily suspended or is it essentially abolished? Rab- Rabbeinu Aram <coughs> clearly believes that the prohibition of writing down the oral law was temporarily suspended but not completely abolished. By the way, what I'm telling you right now, is so crucial, because as we're going to see, so many people made mistakes in understanding why the Rambam didn't write the way, he, didn't write certain things, or why he wrote only certain things. This here is not a chidush; it's a foundation. It's a fundamental of understanding the Rambam. We needed Rabbi Yosef Kapak to tell us this. There's another conversation similar to the one on Shabbat about sacrifices. And therefore, even the authors of the Talmud therefore did not allow themselves to write down whatever they wanted. That they only wrote down things that would not be able to be easily understood from the Mishnah itself. So Chachmei Talmud only wrote things that were fundamental and that you would have no other choice. It's not like you could sit and ponder over the Mishnah and reach those conclusions. They only wrote that which was essential for a person and some things that they wouldn't be able to come and reach on their own. Like we said above, maybe something new is different. And because... In a situation where laws, even Shabbat, or sacrifices, and here in our case, of writing the oral law, are temporarily suspended, and therefore, when they're temporarily suspended, you must do the best you can to limit violation of that rule. The permission to write down the oral law is limited. To try to write only that which is essential, only that which is necessary, only that which is fundamental. And they tried as much as they can not to add. Rabbi Haram Bam already writes in the Perusha Mishnah, in his introduction to the commentary on the Mishnah. That which Rabb Ashi did essentially by explaining the Mishnah is something that no other person would have been able to do. Klumar meaning, Rav Ashi only wrote down chidushim, that you and I and anyone else would not be able to reach through their own logical analysis of the existing texts. And he therefore hints, the Rambam, that he, this was his same style in his commentary in the Mishnah, how much more so here in the Mishneh Torah, in the way of Ravashi, and he wrote the things that would be difficult otherwise for you to reach on your own. This is a foundation here. Essentially, the Rambam is saying Ravashi only explains things in the Mishnah that are necessary, that are crucial, because it's not permitted to write down the oral law. We are still trying to preserve as much as possible the oral status of the oral law. And therefore, the Rambam also limits himself to the things that he feels are permissible to write down on paper. avzel Here now is the Rambam's language. Here's the Rambam. We're quoting him. I have decided afterwards that it's fitting to write on the Mishnah a commentary that is necessary. Remember I mean, that word necessary, essential like I'm going to explain at the end of my words I saw that the Talmud does from the Mishnah clarifies in the Mishnah that which no human being could clarify on their own. That the Talmud brings rules. And it tells you, This Mishnah was built and constructed in this way. That this Mishnah that you think is complete is really missing a sentence, it's missing a word, it's missing an understanding, and it has to really be read this way. That this Mishnah is not accepted by everyone. This Mishnah was authored by this Tanah. And therefore, it wasn't accepted. This was his opinion. His whole idea was to rule halacha this way. The whole purpose of the Talmud is to clarify the essential points of the Mishnah. Ayin sham. Look there at what the Rambam writes himself. Vehu hatam. And that's the reason. Hu hasiba. And that's the true reason. It's interesting. In English, I don't know if there's a better word between tam and siba. Explanations, yes, but reason, actual translations, I'm not sure. And this was the motivator of Rabbeinu Harambam to be brief. 14 volumes is brief. But to limit what he would write in this Mishneh Torah. Before the Mishneh Torah, there was never a book like it. After the Mishneh Torah, there never will be. A, there never has been another book like it. Even Maran Shulchan I've spoken about this before. It doesn't compare to the Rambam's Mishneh Torah. It's a different type of work. But the Rambam's Mishneh Torah, in my opinion, is underrated. Everyone runs after so many of the Rambam's books, but if you look at the, the meticulous nature in which the Rambam writes his Mishneh Torah you will realize, this is his magnum opus. This is his book. I'm not Chazoram taking away from the other books of the Rambam. But the Rambam, every word, every sentence, every every letter in this book means something. The Rambam is careful only to record those laws which are in the original sources on their own. Mishnah, The canon of rabbinic literature. And already the one who made a mistake continued making a mistake. There are people who have given reasons as to why the Rambam doesn't write his own novel insights. Different things which are learned out from the sources, whether they're, they're correct or not. He was quoting his language. The one who made a mistake said, Rabbeinu Rambam didn't write this book as a book of Halachot. He wrote this book as some kind of abridged Talmud. It was a theoretical work that was meant to summarize the Talmud. And this book had no practical purpose. This person understood that Rabbeinu Arambam's purpose was only to collect all the laws of the Torah in one place. But he had no intention that people should rule according to this book or follow the halachot in this book. And clearly, the one who wrote this, his eyes, it's a respectful way. Instead of saying he didn't know something, his eyes didn't see that which we just quoted in Masechet and that which Rabbi uh, Rambam writes to Rabbi Yosef Ben Yehuda, which we studied in a previous class about the whole purpose of the Mishnah Torah, is to follow it. Tomorrow, Hashem, we're going to discuss a different reason for why Rabbeinu HaRambam wrote the Mishnah Torah the way he wrote it. Tonight's reason, in summary, is because the prohibition of writing the oral law has not been abolished. It was temporarily suspended for Rabbi yudah Hanassi to write down that which was necessary in the Mishnah. And when the Baalei Talmud, they saw that there were things that further needed that needed further clarification, things that were not clear, and you and I would not be able to reach those conclusions properly on our own. They, perhaps begrudgingly, wrote the Talmud to explain that which one needed to be explained in the Talmud and therefore the Rambam is on the same mission. But to write extra? To write more? Shabbat has not been abolished. It's been temporarily suspended to save someone's life. The law of not writing the Oral Law has not been abolished. The Rambam's understanding is it was temporarily suspended and perhaps is still temporarily suspended, but when one is dealing with a law that is temporarily suspended, one must try as much as possible Not to violate the law more than absolutely necessary. Bezat Hashem will continue here uh, tomorrow in the Rambam on page Chavdala 24.